seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. You'll never have me, Sacred Stone. <laughs> oh, this you crazy mother... Welcome, friends, to episode 211 of Color of Magic, your magic gaming podcast, where we talk about all types of issues that affect gamers at and away from their gaming tables and computers. I am your host, Dequan Watson, and for 211 episodes, my main man, Brian Allen, still in the shotgun seat. How's it going, dude? Good. The, the Rangers have gone almost all the way and now i'm nervous because people are saying that there's no way they can lose and that's never what you want to hear see i wasn't going to say that but you were saying i was going to jinx them to even get jinx them to even get to the series <laughs> like i was pretty sure you know how i knew they were going to win though because ted cruz was out here talking about going to the astros game and you oh, knew God. they were gonna he was just gonna curse them so they couldn't win and man the astros fans were mad did you see that yeah like they for real were petitioning to have him not go to the game and then he shows up and they lose like oh bruh oh did it to himself did it to himself hey don't forget though if you are enjoying our show be sure to check out check out check out our friends over at coolstuffinc.com great place to pick up magic stuff and a bunch of other nerd stuff or other card games or supplies or whatever you need and you can save money on your purchase all you got to use is code dragon you'll be supporting us and saving yourself five percent so go do that. Check out our folks over at CoolStuffInc.com. Also, if you want to support the show directly, you can go to Patreon.com slash Color of Magic. That really helps so much. And you can get a shout out just like Joe Kapasansky. Thank you for being a Patreon. And go over to ColorofMTG.com slash shop to help us out and get some merchandise. Also, I want to say this. Wherever you're listening to the show, be sure to review it. Leave a nice comment with each episode that helps us show up higher in searches and shows them that people like the show it gets high rated when people search for magic or gaming or whatever will come up and we get more listeners and that's always appreciated for now though let's go get into the soapbox because uh, i think we have some interesting things here and and i'm gonna say here this is probably the first soapbox in a while where the soapbox itself is not going to necessarily be gaming or or community related but man it's halloween and i gotta say every year i must get like five sometimes six or seven but usually four or five invites to go to these corn mazes and i always turn them down people keep inviting me and don't mean like i enjoy halloween stuff i i like a good costume party the quirky snacks that look like weird hands and stuff and ghosts like i'm cool with all that like hanging out, having a couple of drinks, some finger food. Like even I even like being at the house during Halloween. Kids are coming trick or treating and handing out all the candy and seeing all the quirky little costumes. Corn mazes, I don't get, dude. I just don't understand. Like now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying you are wrong for going and doing the corn mazes. I think if you enjoy them, keep doing them. For me personally, though, I just don't get it. I'm just walking around in a bunch of corn sometimes depending on the corn maze people in there to try to jump scare you or whatever when you're going the wrong direction but then i just go through the corn and eventually i just come out the other side and like i don't i just don't understand the experience like i would pay money to walk through someone's cornfield and then 
there's no prize. You just get the experience of doing the thing. I would rather just sit outside and have some kettle corn and some warm apple cider and just wait for y'all to get done. For me, that's no different than like my friends that want me to go skydiving with them. Not interested. Or bungee jumping. A little bit different than guy. Not interested. Yeah. Same ones that want me to go run these marathon, like the zombie run marathons or wherever with them. No, not interested. I don't need people chasing me while I'm already running. Like I'm good. Right. There's just some things that just don't work for me. And I, and it's funny. Cause again, I have nothing against the corn man. I think it's fine. Honestly, I'm kind of glad they exist. Cause it's another great way for farmers to make some extra money at the end of a season and all that stuff. So they actually do serve a purpose, but as far as participating in them, I don't know. Like I, I, and I have genuinely tried, I've done a couple early on just cause I'm like, maybe I'm just not, there's something here I'm not getting. Right. So I did a couple and was just like, no, it's exactly what I thought. Just nothing there. <laughs> like I got done. It's, it's like, again, you, it's like running those marathons. You get done. I'm like, nope, I'm just tired. And they gave me a cheap metal and a banana. Like I, why did I do this? You know, like, Kind of the same thing. So, yeah, it's this is just a rant. This is just me not understanding a part of the culture around Halloween. But, again, I'm cool with them existing. I get why they help farms out. It's it's And, honestly, if you got kids, it's a simple Halloween activity you can take kids through and it's not dangerous or whatever. And it's, you know, so there there are benefits to them if you're just looking for But being just a dude with no kids, I, I have no reason to even bother with the corn maze. Other things... Count me in. You got a Halloween party, invites, whatever. I'm there all day. We can do that. But the corn mazes, man, I, I'm i I'm lost. See what I did there? I'm lost. But I'm not. But all right, that's it. That's all I got. I, I just, corn maze just this week. I just had to turn down more invites, and I, I just wanted to share that. But I'll let you get into it, because yours is more what we've been hearing about on most podcasts, so it's kind of, we need to talk about it. Yeah, it's me being glad I'm an old married dude because I'm seeing some of the things going on in, in the dating sphere and saddened, frightened. Did, did you see this lady that decided she was too cute to go to a che- cheesecake factory? I, I, I keep wanting to call it Cheesecake Warehouse and I have no idea why. <laughs> oh, did I, see? I saw it. But I'm going to let you say your piece because I don't want to steal your thunder on this one first because, man, I got things to say about her. Uh, yeah, I, I think most people do. First of all, you know, she's kind of cute. <laughs> I mean, not probably apparently nearly as cute as what she seems to think that she is. Because part of her thing was like, who takes somebody who looks like this to the Cheesecake Factory? I'm like, First of all, why, why should looks be... Who's really going like, oh, God, she, she's way cuter than I thought. I can't take her to the place. Is that really a thing? I hope that's not a thing. Man, but in her opinion, too too cute to go to Cheesecake Factory. I I ain't even gonna insult her. She's she you know she she's good looking, whatever. But like I'm with you, like because how somebody looks shouldn't dictate the level of date or whatever you're trying to go on. That's that's just crazy. Yeah, wh- where is that happening yet? And then, she, first of all, she's like you know, pulls out her phone, starts I guess recording this whole experience, looking like almost. Tried to shame this guy into going somewhere else. And he understands, like, you know what? I don't feel this is already enough to feel like we're not compatible. 
sometimes on a date, you learn really early that, yeah, this is not the person for me. <laughs> sometimes it, sometimes it takes, you know, an hour or two. Sometimes it's with the five minute mark, probably. Or it's not five minutes. I think she made him wait in the car for an hour, hour and a half. And that's the twist ending was it turns out he had a much better restaurant booked, but it took her so long to get ready to look cute that they missed that reservation. So Cheesecake Factory was the backup plan. Congratulations. You played yourself. But dude, tell me like, as even as a backup plan, Cheesecake Factory's all right. Like, who hates on the cheese? Like, if anybody's been the cheese, it makes factory, millions of dollars a year. Somebody must like eating there. But bro, if anybody's been there in the last five, six years, like, even for two people, if you get drinks, entrees, the hell, their cheesecake desserts are like ten or eleven dollars or something. Like, you're probably still going to spend a hundred dollars on the date. So it ain't even like it's the cheapest date or something. And for her to be like, well, it's a chain. Who takes somebody to a chain restaurant? I'm like, you know what, Ruth Chris is a chain, but you'd have been fine if he took you there, right? Right, like, come on now. PF like, chains, I guess, considered to be somewhat upscale, but still a chain. Yeah, I just there's a lot of good chains out there. Like, I get it. Like, she was trying to use it as like an insult. Like, he took her to, a, I don't know, the Olive Gardens because people yeah, still want to like hate on McDonald's Garden. or something, or you know, just, yeah. And it is. I saw somebody posted a list of places you shouldn't take a woman on a date. They had IHOP. Like, literally, my f- first date with my wife was IHOP. We, Man, we still I, go to IHOP because, you know, that was our first date. So it's kind of like uh, reminiscent. Because to me, first date is like, you'd have no idea if you're going to like this person. So I See, mean, I, I, I might have done, like, depending on what time of year, maybe I'd have done something cool. Take somebody to, like, the fair, the local nerd convention or something and find out a little more about their likes or dislikes walking around the show. Like, that'd be cool. You know, but, like. There's a lot of restaurants and whatever you could take somebody. Thing, though, yeah, I guess you you got to know what some of their likes and dislikes are before you can go to the nerd convention, right? Sure, sure, but like, I just don't understand the idea of like. I guess it depends on how much you've talked, you know, beforehand. Because like in the case of Tish, this was essentially a blind date. I wouldn't have known if she would would have liked to go to a convention or anything. So it just yeah, ours wasn't a blind date, but like I was able to just. Like, talk to her about what you're into, what you like. And we just went to a little wine bar and hung out for a couple hours. And I think, like, average date, you almost have, other than maybe what's on their dating profile. And we didn't, when, when Tiz and I were dating, dating profiles were really just becoming a thing. So I think most people are going into it, they really don't know a whole lot about what the other person likes. Yeah, but even then, like, that's the whole reason to not go to a crazy high-end restaurant. Yeah, right? you, let, let's say you book the best Italian restaurant in town and then they hate Italian food, you know? Just... But, like, we go to a decent place. And, again, I, I think Cheesecake Factory is above decent. Like, right? you're doing all right going to Cheesecake Factory, right? And that was the dude's backup plan. So, on top of that, like, he even had a quality backup. So, I'm like, yeah. you, can't, you can't hate that dude. But for a first date, oh, go ahead. And did you see this other lady who invited somebody out? Or I guess he had, had had been inviting her out. She had actual no actual interest, but she figured, well, as it, these are her own words, not mine. She was bored and had some time, so she uh, had this guy take her to apparently a local someplace where they serve oyster platters, and she put away like fifty oysters to go on, in addition to drinks, <laughs> you know, crab cakes. She, she she was hiding some food. So 
old boy did what I'm sure many of us would have done, and he went to the bathroom and never came back. I mean, bro, look, like, I wouldn't have just left on you, but I'd have just told you why I'm leaving. I mean, I'd have just been for real about it. Man, look, I'm going to pay for what I promised to pay for, but other than that, I'm bouncing. Right? That That's it. Because, like, how are you? And not only that, she filmed parts of it. Yeah. <laughs> like, you can't be like, uh, I don't even care about this dude, but he's taking me out. So I'm going to go blow up his bill and record it for posterity's sake to show how much I'm going to get over on this dude. Right. She's, <laughs> I'm sure at this point, has made money off of this. Yeah, it's just crazy. And, and let me say this. Dudes can be trash, too. I don't want to Absolutely. make it look like I'm just, like, you know, bashing women for taking shots at dude. Because there are dudes that are straight trash on dates, too, for different reasons. So, like, people, though, you got to get your stuff together, right? You can't be out here trying to, even using that very first date to be like, oh, well, if they don't go completely all out. Like, even as a dude, if the woman doesn't dress up completely and put on her nicest dress and do her hair, but, like, she barely knows you. <laughs> right like how are you we having these crazy expectations for somebody that you don't even have any connection to knows nothing about you like yeah it's it's, it's just rent and what's the worst part is i re- genuinely i feel for these people that get in those situations because it's going to take them probably another 5 10 maybe even 15 years to figure out what they really care about and by then they may have missed some quality partners along the way and that's going to be the worst part about it because you had all these superficial preconceived notions of all this stuff. You missed some awesome life opportunities. And those are the people, even now, I, as I get old, I talk to some folks and they're like, man, there was this one time, uh, man, I remember this one person. It's like, yeah, you screwed up. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like got to get right, man. But yeah, crazy, crazy stuff all the way around. But let's go ahead and talk about some other things because we definitely have some stuff in the What Did We Learn that are going to be pretty interesting. One kind of sad, one kind of interesting. But I'll let you lead on this. All right. Uh, Richard Roundtree, perhaps best known as uh, John Shaft, basically kind of the first black action hero, has passed away this week at, I believe, uh, 81 years of age and just... As I said, you're really just kind of our first black action hero at a time when it was just if you saw if you saw somebody black, they are probably at best they they might have been you know the stool pigeon g- g- giving the cops Starsky and Hutch you know some some tips on on who might know how to solve the crimes. This, this was a transformative role, paved the way for so many movies, so many actors. It just and also he was in uh, Roots. And he actually said that uh, that uh, Richard Hamilton apologized to him for having to pretend to beat him because that's just how intense Roots was, you know. And again, nothing that hadn't been done before. Trailblazing role, and they purposely used people, you know, like Richard Hamilton, like uh, Ralph Waite, who was a dad on the Walton. So these, you know, were your some of your famous TV dads to show that, like, yeah, slave owners were some of the in theory, upstanding people in the community, but yeah, they weren't weren't you know what. <laughs> you know, the crazy part about his career is that I don't think people realize, like, he was doing a lot of acting, but it was usually like, small roles, right? He'd be in, like, one episode of this TV show yeah. or he'd do a cameo role in a movie or whatever. And that's pretty much how he was making a living in Hollywood for, at least since what 2000 or so 
Because he's yeah, been in he a was... ton of stuff, just not starring or co-starring even in a bunch of stuff. Yeah, because once you get to a certain age, uh, you're playing the dad pretty much, or granddad really, at, at, at 81. Yeah, because I think he did a similar role in, I'm trying to think the thing he was most consistent in, maybe... He, he just had a Netflix show that I believe just went off last season, was it called Family Reunion, or he was the I've heard about that, I didn't watch that. I know he was in Heroes. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, but that on... went off there in like, oh seven something like yeah. that so like a while he ago he was on uh being mary jane i think again probably being somebody's dad because again it was you once you pass a certain age those are the only roles that, that are coming towards you the, the roles for the roles where the person that's 80 or the star of the show or the movie are few and far between at that point yeah that's always tough especially for a guy that has that much standing within a community and just people couldn't find roles for him you know, and I don't know if it's because maybe they felt he was a little typecast or when they finally wanted to use him, he was just older, you know, just just a tough situation there. But well, because, I mean, there are so few black projects that get green lit sure. to begin with. Sure. Then, but I mean, you know, think you about that, though. Account and it's it becomes harder and harder to find those great roles. But you're talking about a dude who's basically been acting since 1970. Yeah. I mean, so 70, 71, all the way until he passed, effectively. You know, also so. was was somebody, you know, that's led people to, because he apparently was diagnosed with breast cancer, I guess, uh, several years ago, and was letting guys know, hey, seriously, this is not just a woman's disease. Go check yourself out. One woman actually uh, came up to him on a plane and said, you saved my husband's life because he didn't want to go get checked out. But, you know, Josh Schaff said yep. to go get checked out, and he finally went and got checked out and saved his life. Yep, Shaft told you to go get it looked at. You got to go. Right. But, yeah, that's wild. Like, a 50-plus year career. Like, that's that's strong. Yeah, I if, for any job, much less an actor, really? you know. So, yeah, good on him, man. Good on him. Uh, my thing is actually, I wanted to do a follow-up on a story that pretty much proves that a lot of these companies reaching out to creators are just hoping you have no idea what you're worth. So to get you, those of you caught up that may not be weekly listeners, I had somebody reach out and they wanted me to promote a microphone. And I asked them, okay, cool, is this a paying gig? Because, you know, you're just asking for free advertising to my audience. And they said, well, no, we're not really paying, whatever. And I was like, all right, that's cool. Unfortunately, I have to turn it down since there's no compensation with the offer. Well, a couple of days later, they reached back out and said, oh, well, you know, we could probably find somebody. How much you how much you need for your thing? And it's like, well, you just told me you don't have money for ads, but now you're telling me there is. So why don't you tell me your price that you're willing to pay? And I will just yay or nay and save us both some time. Well, they came back and basically said the equivalent of give us your lowest price <laughs> and we'll see if we can do it for that, which is terrible. You're telling me to undercut myself. So then I eventually was told him, like, hey, if y'all don't have a price you're willing to pay up front, I'm probably not interested. It's all right. And at this point, I kind of just assumed they weren't going to respond because it'd been weeks and weeks. And I was good with that. Wasn't really worried about it. But about a month goes by and they reach back out and say, well, we have $50 for you and we'll, we'll still pay for shipping and send you the microphone if you make a video with it and show your face in it. Now, it's not the show your face thing that's the problem. 
but it's the fact that they were specific and need that because it says they would like to get the advantage of you and your audience and your likeness to most likely use that for other ads in other places. So they were trying to pay me $50 and send me a microphone that at their cost probably cost them eight to 12 bucks to make, honestly. To get the somebody to record basically a testimonial and review of their product that they could use elsewhere. Like, come on. And, and the worst part about this is if they'd have told me 150, 200 bucks a couple weeks ago, I probably would have been fine with it. And I'd have done it, not cared, not to let them use it for whatever ads they want. But then they go through this whole thing of giving you the runaround and then try to lowball you and want to take advantage of your work. Like, come on. And honestly, I almost decided to just go back to them and be like, hey, I'll do it for this, but you do not get the rights to use this anywhere else on any other platform unless you pay extra money. And just to see what they would say, because <laughs> I know it's not what they want. But at this point, it's already drug out for, I don't know, seven weeks or something now in total. It's like, I'm, I'm not doing this deal, most likely. But it just kind of goes to show that they will take advantage of people because they know some people just really want to make it as content creators and they'll just take any money to legitimize themselves. And then they get these things that they can show. Oh, I worked with this brand and did this review or whatever and get these resume builders, which nothing wrong with that as a creator. Like people go through that phase and, and they want that and they need that. But the fact that they're going to get so much extra work out of you and make so much extra money that you'll never see a portion of. That's tough. And they're not willing to pay you for it. So if you're trying to get into content or whatever out there, just be aware of what's going on. And if you're just a listener or consumer, when your favorite creators are out there supporting brands or whatever, know that a lot of them have probably gone through some type of hassle to get these deals done. And you buying stuff or going to the links that they're giving you, whatever, really does support them and help them out so they can get bigger and better deals and honestly bring you more deals on more products you might want. So, yeah, it's, it, it definitely helps everybody if everyone's uh, working together. But that being said, let's go ahead and get into our regular stuff here because we uh, we have a few things to talk about this week. All right, Brian, I got something good to say about Twitch. Okay. <laughs> All right, well, let me, let me start. Let me say the, the weird thing first so I can get this out of the way. But we know the whole 70-30 split had been going away on Twitch for a while now. Yeah. For some reason at TwitchCon, there was this weird like game show that was being run by one of the creators or whatever, one of the streamers. But it looked like one of the higher-ups at Twitch was involved. And part of the prizes they were giving away were coupons that I guess gave you some type of code or something that could get you 70-30 on your, your streams. What? Yeah, it's weird, man. I don't really know. I don't really know why that's a thing. I, you could just give it to people or not. Giving people a coupon is just awkward. <laughs> Goofy. Yeah, like, why was that the decision? Like, who thought of that and thought this? Like, I get the concept that you look at that and go, well, what do people really want? You know what would make a cool prize? Like, ah, hold, pump the brakes for a second. They really want that, but that's going to really make for some weird discussions, you know? So anyway, that aside, the good news is that Twitch at TwitchCon this weekend in Vegas, or last weekend, I guess, in Vegas, did announce that they are going to let streamers multi-stream on all platforms. Because previously, you could only 
live stream on Twitch if you're on a vertical format platform and not on regular ones. So you couldn't do like Twitch and YouTube or Twitch and Facebook or whatever. Now, doesn't matter. You can do them all. The only restrictions I could find were basically that they don't want you doing it in a way that you combine chats, which is weird. I don't know what that has to do with anything. But and there was some other small thing, but can't be talking to those Facebook people. They're weird. Yeah, it's awkward because basically all people are going to do is you can just set up streams to run concurrently all at the same time and just be on multiple streams. But you're still only seeing that chat on one service or whatever. So it's weird. But yeah, you can do it now. And and this is kind of a big deal. It doesn't seem like it to a lot of people. And I and. I want to say, I don't think this is the best thing for necessarily just like growing your reach, though. I think it can. I don't think this is like it was early on. It was told to people like, yeah, you should multi-stream because it'll help you branch out and do all this. But like in reality, you're just growing multiple platforms at once, but you're not going to accelerate the growth of any of them, particularly. The benefit here, though, is when you are monetized on various platforms, this allows you to make a significant amount more money without a lot more effort. And I'm going to use myself in this example is that I was having to choose for the last couple of months whether I wanted to stream on Twitch that day or YouTube. And a lot of times I was going to be more benefited to stream on YouTube than on Twitch. Because on Twitch, unless I got like subs or people resubbed or whatever, well, the ad revenue isn't as good. And obviously, I'm growing my brand on YouTube more, so rewarding that audience makes sense. And some of those videos have gotten a significant amount of views because they're shown to people after the, the live stream is done. But now, whenever I go live, I can just go live on everything. So now, even though I'm making a little bit on Facebook and I'm making an okay amount on Twitch and I'm doing decent on YouTube, I can have all of them live at one time. So now that same, let's say, two hours I was going to stream, even if that's just a couple times a week, now at the end of the month, that could be $400 extra, maybe $500. If you're a bigger creator, that could be an extra $1,000, $2,000 a month you're making just by being on multiple platforms at once. Like, this is a game changer for people, man. And this also brought up the thing about exclusivity or whatever now the only people who would have an issue with this are the exclusive deals and i'm hearing they're even going to make some exception for some of those and what people don't know i mean credit because i heard and i don't know how accurate this is like well we already know for a fact ninja gave up ex exclusivity with twitch just so he could multi-stream on everything at once now he was still on twitch getting a bunch of viewers but he wasn't getting all the ad revenue and everything else that a partner deal would give him but supposedly he had a sit down dinner with the new higher up at Twitch at some point. And they talked it out and he explained why he's doing what he's doing or whatever. And that was, I told that's part of the motivation of people and understanding of why they decided to move forward with this. So, and that makes sense. You know, he, he would know probably as well as anybody kind of how much money is to be made from doing this. And you, and of course that's somebody that's going to be able to tell you kind of, how, I guess, to make some of the other high-profile creators happy. So. Well, yeah, because I think that's the thing that has to stand out to them, right? If you look at somebody like Ninja, and he says, I'm willing to give up the money I'm getting on Twitch, which for him was a lot. I mean, you're talking right. probably a couple hundred thousand on the year, if not a million for the year plus. He was, he was one of their bigger streamers. 
But him saying my time being more efficiently used to stream on everything else is worth that money. Like that has to really get you thinking if you're Twitch, right? To sit there and say like one of our top streamers is willing to go, you know what? For me to not take this money, but get all this other money every single time I stream, totally worth it. And he's still getting an audience, right, on Twitch. So it's like he could still use that to sell merchandise, get brand deals, whatever, because he can still tell people, hey, I still have 10,000 people on just Twitch alone when I go live. Right? That's worth a lot to promoters. So, yeah, this is this is a cool deal. I don't I don't know how many people that are streaming on a bunch of stuff that's going to matter to, but I know there's a lot that it will matter to. And. For me, I'm looking forward to it. This this actually takes a lot of decision making out for me and easily opens up, like I said, at least $100 a week for me, probably, if not more, for no extra work, effectively. Like, that's awesome. But there was bigger news in Magic, and we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about it. Yeah, Marvel finally coming to magic or at least within the next two years but yeah that was a big now i want to say this announcement did feel a little incomplete and lacking some fanfare and i think it's because the announcement wasn't supposed to go live yet i did see a thing where another website posted something and i feel like that pushed and i don't know this to be fact but i feel like Wizards announcement came out a little after that, based on the timelines I could find. And they look like they were kind of forced to announce it before they were ready. Like somebody maybe got the PR brief and was like, cool, we'll just post this today. And then when it went up, went, no, dog, that's supposed to go up next week or whatever, you know. But, it, you know, cat's out of the bag. You can't do anything with it now. And Wizard Season said, okay, we got to put something up and whatever. But. I mean, it's just, it's so hard to keep stuff this big under wraps. It... Yeah, but like, if you're sending it to another company's PR department, like, stuff is dated and everything else. Like, you got to do your job, you know? Oh, but that, that's assuming it was PR that leaked it. it that's that's also true. It may not even have been. Somebody just had a scoop. And what what's the last thing Wizards had come out that nobody heard about? I can't think of anything. <laughs> No, I mean, when they announced that they were going to, like, their big announcement, and they were going to do Fallout, uh, Kingdom Hearts, or whatever it was, or or not Kingdom Hearts, uh, Final Fantasy, you know, whatever, like, that all came out just from Wizards. Like, nobody knew those were coming until they announced it. So, some stuff is able to be kept, but, like, a lot of things, you keep a secret by not telling people. Right. And like you said, to get... To, to make sure that all your PR things drop at the same time, you gotta release it to a few people. And once once two people know a secret, that's one too many. Yep. I mean, now that being said, this wasn't a bad announcement. The thing to be clear on, though, is they did say it, it did look like it's going to be a multi-set deal. So this isn't going to be just like Lord of the Rings, a one and done, right? This is something they're probably going to do I don't know if it's going to be a couple sets in the same year or one in back-to-back years or, you know, maybe a, a fall set. I mean, enough. You uh, probably keep selling this until they don't buy it anymore. Maybe. I mean. Or, or until you have to pay for the license again, whichever comes first. They did get the Marvel Comics license, not the Marvel Studios license, which does make a difference 
And it's honestly probably better for Magic because you get access to the Marvel Comics universe, which then means like you could do like commander decks that are like the Hellfire Club could be one, yeah. right? The X Men could be one. The Spider, uh, the Sinister Six, or whatever could be yeah, one. Yeah, you're just not nearly as limited with the comic book. With the movies, there are some things that just hadn't been touched yet. Yeah, you you have access to a whole pile of stuff. Like, I mean, you could do obviously an Avengers one. You know, could be a thing. The Fantastic Four could be one. Like, there's so many ways you could go with the different decks. Like, it'd actually be pretty cool enough to do easily three, four sets before you have to start going deep. Right. And and then there's you know the all the bad group like what the defenders uh what was the one that had North Star as the leader? Uh the Alpha Flight. Alpha <laughs> like, Flight. like that could be one. Right. There's there's a bunch. There's a bunch you could do. So it does open up a lot. I don't know mechanically what you include or not. It's probably gonna come down just to the hero powers. Like Hulk needs to be a flip card. I think that's that needs to be mandatory. Yeah, <laughs> like there's some different things that I think you could do that'd be neat. That would be unique just to the superhero stuff, which could be kind of fun. But man, people felt every which way about this. Some people were super giddy. Other people were bothered. Uh, I'm I'm kind of people, you know, that have that have just not liked universes beyond since the beginning. Yeah, some people just don't like anything that's not just strictly magic, and that's if, understandable. If you, if you hate the idea, if you hated it with Walking Dead, you weren't gonna like it with Spider Man. Yeah, well, honestly, that's actually not totally true because there have been people that, well, you know, I I hate Lord of the Rings, whatever, but they were super excited about Street Fighter, right? So even even that has been interesting because. Why is it okay for it to be a good thing when it's a property you like, but then it's terrible when it's a thing when it's one you don't like, right? Because like I'm not the biggest Godzilla fan, but I didn't have a problem with those cards existing in Ikoria. I met people who were actually trying to collect them all, right? And and that's kind of neat, right? It was there for somebody, and they'd been with Godzilla. I think it was just it was strictly just art, right? The cards themselves weren't in any way different than the the cards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The art. That's true. The, now, now they start doing cards that are different that don't have an existing component in some other set. Yeah, but I, at that point, like the only issue I have with that is when we do a full set's worth of cards, we haven't really established how to reprint those in the future. Because a lot of them are going to... like Anything that's named, we, we could make a magic version of it in the future. Yeah. But like what does that even look like? Like let's say let's use Doctor Who as an example, right? That just came out, had a full set's worth of cards, like 200 cards or whatever. Like let's say 40 of them end up being quality reprintable cards that people want. Like where are we going to put 40 cards? But are we? Because, you know, like at this point, they're, 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 I'm assuming the plans for them never to be legal in standard. So do you have to reprint them at that point? If they're, I mean, they're only in legacy formats anyway. That seems to be the trick. Because at some point, some of these cards are going to be 30, 40, 50, $80. Are we just going to be okay with a bunch of things being, well, eventually, if you don't ever print them, they just hit $100 cards, right? So like but that's that's a thing that happens in those formats anyway, right? Because they're chock full of really of, old cards. But we've been reprinting a lot of them, and 
And also some people because hate the fact that they're getting reprinted. Also because it affects a lot of Commander as well. And that's the other concern. Because this year, and this is the thing I said before, right? Because normally when we've done it, even then we were doing like one at a time. Now we have Lord of the Rings that came out in the summer that had a pile of cards that could be reprinted. And then we had Doctor Who, which also has a pile of cards that could be reprinted. Probably not 40, probably closer to like 25 to 30, but still worthwhile cards. So if we combine both sets, let's say we've got 60 plus cards that are reasonable reprints. Like, and next year, we're going to be doing Fallout in March or whatever, which is probably going to have some cards. And then the next thing it's like, okay, where where do these all go? And that's not counting all the things we're already reprinting that are already printing that will need reprinting that are already in standard legal sets. Which, good for Wizards, because you are at least creating some amount of reprint equity, right? You have room for future Commander decks or master sets or whatever it happens to be that you can at least fill them with something. The question is just where do they all go? And like I, I that's the thing we haven't seen explored yet. But as far as the cards existing, I don't have a problem with it. I think some people are concerned was like, well, yeah, we'll re- increase the market and people will want to play because there's Marvel characters in the game and but it's like okay, cool. I think the interesting thing to me is knowing how a lot of these licenses work somebody in the next two years might not be getting either won't be getting a Marvel license or they're going to be having their contract ended (laughs) because usually you don't have multiple companies making a licensed product in the same space. I don't know if I mentioned on the show before, but I remember talking to the guys at WizKids and they were, they have the X-Wing game. For those of you who don't know what it is, it's a Star Wars based game with all the ships. and they were trying to make one of the really big ships. I'm not a Star Wars aficionado. I can't remember the name of it. But players were like, oh man, could we make it bigger into scale? And they actually said they made it to the max size they could because if it's larger than that, it becomes classified as a statue and another company had the license to make Star Wars statues. So they couldn't even make a game piece over a certain size or it violated the contract. Like... That's how strict some of these things are. Even though, obviously, it would have been a game piece, they couldn't let that infringe on somebody else who had the right to make the statues of the ships or whatever. It seems like Disney, to a large extent, is saying, oh, the, the hell with that. Because, I mean, they've got what? how many different collectible miniature games does Star Wars have right now? Like, at least two or three. I Like I said, I know of X-Wing, and I think there was another one that was, like, figures, not ships. But they're they're doing a new one, and I, I I can't think of. Let me see, Star Wars skirmish game because I've been seeing previews for forever. I don't know if it's out. Sure, but even then, that's a skirmish game and not a ship game. So they probably have separate licenses, and one can't produce the thing that the other's producing. Probably, yeah, like Star Wars Shatterpoint is yeah, yeah. That, that's it from the miniature skirmish game. They've got that, and then there's still. Uh, what is the, there's, um, there, there are so many Star Wars games right now. They just, it's all like Star Wars Rebellion has many. And I guess maybe it's not technically classified as a skirmish, but to somebody that isn't just all the way into this, those two things, if you saw those two things in the toy store, you wouldn't be able to tell them apart. Oh, sure. Unless, yeah. Unless not, you know, this is a skirmish, this is a board game. 
Yeah, yeah, I'm not saying that they would know the difference as a consumer, but the licensing business end knows, right? That That's the issue. And I think Rebellion's also closer to a board game more than a miniatures game is probably how they get away with that, if I were guessing. But yeah, there's a by that rationale, I guess you could you could you could delineate uh, this magic thing from say uh, versus because one of these okay, the Marvel cards are they they're they're in standard, they're in whatever the biggest tournament is. As opposed to these are just going to be apparently a commander and legacy product if they stick to what universes beyond has been for the past several sets. Maybe, but I don't know if that's enough of a differentiation. I'd be very curious on what these contracts are going to look like because this could also mean that the versus contract's going to go away soon. Could be. I mean, and looking at Marvel's end, it could be like, hey, we want this much more for the license to renew it because we have people interested in doing other card game stuff. And Upper Deck may or may not want to pay it. And they're like, all right, cool. Well, we, we go to those other people that were lined up and being like, hey, we can give it to you in 2024, or 2025, or whatever. Because hey, right, right now, assuming is, I, I don't know when versus this contract is up. I don't know when these cards are coming out. But let's say they are. Well, right now we know versus is out. It has Marvel characters. Marvel Champions currently exists. It has Marvel characters. I said I don't know when those contracts are up. But like right now, versus and Marvel Champions are both Marvel card games that exist. And then some point in the next, let's say year or so there will be marvel magic cards and all three of those things will be existing in the same gaming space at roughly the same time yeah i mean that's what i'm saying without seeing the business in it's going to be hard to understand where the timelines are or whatever but if we see somebody saying like okay this is the last set we're printing or whatever like we'll totally understand why and where it came from but yeah, it's it's an interesting deal. It's not something we see that often, you know, the applications of everything and, and what the overarching reach will be will be interesting once we hear about everything else. This does bring up another interesting thought I had, though. And, and this is a little bit like pie in the sky, a little bit conspiracy theory. It's kind of touching a few things here. But we've now started to talk about already, like, the biggest license we can cross over with Marvel, with Magic, right? Because we have, we weren't talking about doing Final Fantasy. We've done Doctor Who. We've done Lord of the Rings. We're now talking about Marvel. Like, the only other really big one I can think of is the one they're not going to want to do with uh, Miss Rowling's product. So, <laughs> even though it's a bunch of wizards, probably not going to happen. Are they not going to? You really think that's the thing that's not going to happen? I'm pretty sure it's not at this point. Like, they seem to have done a decent job, like, distancing. Even when they did uh, Strixhaven, they were trying to be very specific and careful with wording to make sure there wasn't confusion with being uh, Harry Potter influenced or whatever. But they still did Strixhaven. And the first thing everybody thinks of when they see Strixhaven is Harry Potter. But to be fair to them, Strixhaven was probably also in development for a couple of years before. But it's a thing at a wizard school. Harry Potter predates it by 30 years at this point. I mean, but also Rowling didn't really get super crazy until around that time. And it's already too late at that point. Like, what do you do? Right? But they've been, like I said, they've been pretty careful. But outside of that, that's the only other really big license with what I would consider to be significant crossover that I could think of 
that's left. So then where do we go, right? Because, well, we do know at least with Marvel, there's going to be multiple sets, it sounds like. So maybe that's two years worth of projects or three years worth of projects. Who knows? But at some point, it's like, okay, then what? Because anything we cross over with at that point is always going to feel lesser, right? Because even on video game properties, I mean, we could do like... I mean, it depends on if you're Mario a fan of the Brothers, Right? You know, like, there's there's Super Mario stuff left if we want to hit up Nintendo for, for things. Or Zelda or whatever, I guess. But that's kind of the last passion. It depends on how big, you know, the, how big a fan you are. And, and as of yet, we don't know what Marvel characters we're getting. If we, now I'm assuming they'll be the top tier, but let's say they do this and the biggest characters we get are you know, the Fantastic Four, then okay, yeah, then there's, you, you could go bigger than that. Oh, yeah, that's what I'm saying. But I'm assuming we give them the two or three years to flesh it out. Like they get whatever they're going to get out of the Marvel license. What I started thinking about. Is and this is where it gets a little bit conspiracy theory, pie in the sky, whatever. Was what if the plan is get all the licenses we can, bring as many eyeballs as we can to the brand. Just whatever you gotta do. Which we've been doing that this year very well, right? And we're gonna do it the next couple of years. With that with with Fallout and Final Fantasy, whatever, and then rolling into Marvel, right? Then if you were going to do the any type of movie, TV series, whatever, some production product, you can sell that a lot easier saying you have this many more sales, this many more players, right? This many more people interested, this many more website hits, this many downloads. Because I thought about it. You might have a deal where you can like kind of sell something to Netflix or whatever and get some money. But if you can say, well, now, I don't know, I'm, I doubt they'll be at $2 billion in two years, but who the hell knows? Maybe they are. Let's say you can get it up to $2 billion, which would be crazy. But you go and say, hey, we have a $2 billion brand, and we're about to make some production stuff. We want to put it on your platform and your platform. So now you're on YouTube and Amazon and Netflix and Hulu and whatever. Well, I mean, like, is the, 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 the Netflix project they're talking about, like, is it, is it still... No idea. No idea. But I was just thinking, like, maybe this is the plan. You take three, four years, build it as big as you can build it, and now you can sell it to a lot of people instead of having have an exclusive deal on one and make way more money. Again, just a theory, because I don't know what you do after this. <laughs> like, well, you... DC still out there. That's true. So that's equally big. Maybe. <laughs> I said maybe. DC, Marvel are the two largest comic book companies in the world. That's, they like, they are. They are, but I don't think they're equal at this point. I think there if are. You ask most people to name a superhero. Batman's going to be the first thing. I was say. just about. I think there are individual characters that can be, but I think as a brand, they're definitely not equal. I think you can sell a lot more in Marvel than you can sell of DC. Because really, well, you, James Gunn's on board now, so in three years, yeah. the cinematic universes should be. And evil. we can see, we can see where it goes. I mean, so far, early steps have not gone well, but I'm willing well, to James ride it Gunn out. Gunn literally just stepped in the door; he hadn't made a movie yet. Yeah, I'm, I'm willing to ride it out, though. I'm but good you with know, it. best pre- best predictor of future performance is past performance, and James Gunn has yet to make a bad movie. Sure. So I'm, I said, I'm willing to still ride it out. I mean, it could, we could be talking about a whole different thing in three years. Totally viable. 
but I, but again, you know, even if we say DC, I mean, you start get diminishing returns when you start talking about brands you can partner with. So you're, you're going to have to stay at that level at some point. Right. I mean, DC and, and Nintendo, I think are, we'll, we'll say those are the leading contenders for n- new stuff that people are going to be able to get excited about because at some point your magic fans just go like, Oh, well, that's cool, but it's 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 not Lord of the Rings or it's not Marvel, you know, whatever. You think like as we mentioned, like everybody doesn't like Lord of the Rings. There are people that that are will never touch these Marvel cards, but maybe their favorite hero is Batman, and you do DC now they're interested, or their sure, favorite hero but, is. But there's but there is a perception value to it, even if you're not excited about certain things, right? As you keep leveling up, at some point, you almost look like you're backsliding, and you're only you're only going to give people more fodder to talk about something's like, oh, I guess they can't get any more big licenses now. You know, like this this is the downside or whatever. There's always going to be that. And Wizards, because you know how businesses work, you're going to have to keep chasing those numbers. So it's like, okay, we had a great year. Okay, next year we did this and had a bigger year. Like, because I mean, next year is going to be hell for them. Like you're trying to come back from Lord of the Rings and Doctor Who. You know what I mean? Like, so next year you're going to have to really put the pedal to the floor to try to recreate whatever you're doing this year. Because Lord of the Rings apparently has outsold everything. Hugely, yeah, it sounds figure. like. I think I mean, Fallout had the chance to be at least as big as Doctor Who. Yeah, we've talked about that before. I, I'll give it a shot. I don't know if it's going to be as big, but it, you know, it's not going to be. Especially if it launches at the same time as the TV show, and the TV show turns out to be good. Yeah, that'll be the kicker, right? If, if it gets that extra reach from that, that could help, for sure. And then... You know, we assume that Final Fantasy will do well. I, I can't see a reason why it wouldn't. I don't know if it's going to be Lord of the Rings good to replace your summer sales numbers, but it'll it'll still hit. Uh, it's got it's got a pretty good shot because Final Fantasy, you know, especially when you target Lord of the Rings, does well. But the uh, the younger the fan gets, the less they probably know about Lord of the Rings because it, it skews older. Actually, I think you'd be surprised. Most people I know who are Lord of the Rings fans are because of the movies, not because of the books. But even the movies are at this point 25 years old. Yeah, they're older. I don't know if they're, are they 25 years old? Let's see, 20. I I think last year, or it might be, yeah, this year, I think it was the 20th anniversary of Two Towers. Now that, and I guess they had whatever that. TV show was or whatever. Though, and the TV like, show was yeah. a disaster, so you're yeah. probably not getting very many yeah. <laughs> fans from that. But yeah, it's 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 definitely interesting. But I, like I said, I think the sales were so big, it'd be very interesting to see how they line up. And I, that, I, may, I, that may be what hurts Fallout is. I think uh, Lord of the Rings was an Amazon show. Fallout is an Amazon show, although I'm sure it's different people doing it. Yeah. And, and obviously, I think Marvel will be a good year. It's going to be hard. Unless you just botch it up, it's going to be pretty hard to not get people interested from marvel stuff so yeah it's it's the follow-up i think is the issue but yeah i don't know like i said it was just a nice year has something because like one of the problems with walking dead was it really came on the tail end of the franchise being relevant yeah but 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 that's fine because it was just really a secret layer it it wasn't a set's worth of product you weren't trying to sell commander decks or nothing like that so that was fine I think you can do that all day for secret layer stuff. You can just keep finding cool little quirky things. Like if you did want to go and I don't know, you want to do a tank girl secret layer or something, right? Like that'd be fine. 
you could get away with that. And I don't think anybody would complain too much. Tank girl. I love tank girl, but no, I don't think you get away with that. Well, I'm, I'm just saying like that level of product. It doesn't have to be tank girl. I mean, it could be a bunch of stuff, you know, um, I'm trying to think of something else in that space, but anything of that level, like, you know, swamp thing or something, I don't know. But if you're going to get a DC license, maybe you wait on that. <laughs> like, I have no idea. But you can do small stuff in Secret Layer just to be five cards, ten cards, whatever, and get away with it. Nobody's going to care. I just think it's once you start putting the resources to doing, like, full development and what's going to make up the commander decks and all that, like, then you have to start talking about, like, how big is the license? Like, how much money can we recoup from all this? But yeah, it's interesting. It may all just go nowhere. We may just keep making sets for a while, and there might be the next new hot product, and they just turn that into a thing, and that's fine, too. But yeah, it's, it was just something I got to thinking about of, like, could the end result be build this up and then do whatever production product you want to do? But don't really know. But let's uh, talk about an interesting thing that happened that we saw this week on Facebook. For the first time that I'm aware of, a Pro Tour Hall of Fame ring is now available for sale. So if you're on the Facebook group for Magic Rarities and Oddities, somebody is selling a Hall of Fame ring on behalf of the player that, I guess, was awarded the, the ring. Now, this isn't that weird to have this type of ring come on the market. We see If you're into sports, you see it fairly regularly, sadly. Of somebody's Super Bowl ring, World Series ring, whatever, becomes available. Usually because the person fell on hard times, they could use 10 grand or whatever. They're out here trying trying to sell a ring. Or, you know, any other award things they've gotten, they are able to sell because people are fans of those people that are that level. The interesting thing is, I don't think Magic fans are that big on individuals outside of like the most well-known where you're talking about like a Kai or a Finkel or something, you know, uh, a Reed Duke maybe, but people like magic rarities. And it'd be interesting to see what a hall of fame ring sells for. Cause I've never considered even that one would even be available for sale. Right. I mean, I think as we get older, somebody will pass or something will happen to somebody and their rings will become, yeah a thing people could buy. But yeah, it's not something I really considered. But it looks legit in every way. They did obscure the name of the person that is put on the side of the ring. And that could be maybe to protect the person's anonymity because they don't want people to know the situation. Or maybe they're not even having a hard time. They just may be removing magic from their life for whatever reason. Who knows? It's and That's the reason. What, what's the heck? rumors out there, conspiracies out there. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 there could be a lot of reasons somebody wants to do it. Now, obviously, if you reach out to them, you'll get to see the name, and you know, because that could affect maybe you want to buy it or not, right? You've, maybe Absolutely. you find out it's a Kai Fink or a Kai Boudet ring or a John yeah. Finkel ring, right? Then it's worth who knows? Maybe somebody will pay twenty thousand dollars for it. I don't know. People buy a lot of weird, random magic things, and you at least would have the first one that was available to the open market. There, yeah, that's also a big thing. It's the first of something that's ever been on sale. Yeah, I, I don't know of one. I mean, feel free to hop in the Discord, let us know we're wrong, or shoot us a message on, on Twitter. But this is the first I'm aware of. And I asked a couple other people, and they didn't know of one. 
at least not traded or sold publicly. Now, lots of stuff probably happened privately, but this is the only one I've ever seen put out either on a website or on an auction site or something where somebody's selling one. So kind of interesting. I don't know what to make of it, but it's cool. The weird thing is I saw it and I had the thought of, I don't even know if the stones are real. I don't know if it matters, but they could all be synthetic stones. It wouldn't make the ring any less cool, you know, but it's just kind of interesting that I never really thought about that <laughs> until I saw the ring. and went, right. huh, I wonder if those are actual genuine stones. It's a cool looking ring, though. I mean, it, it looks like what you would consider a Hall of Fame, Super Bowl, World Series level ring to look like. So that's pretty cool. And I'm sure if you wanted to do your due diligence, you could probably go back and see what the rings from certain years look like or whatever and deduce whose it is or whatever. Like, sure, I'm not going to go through all that hassle. I don't care <laughs> that much. It's more just the fact that the rings available is, is the story, you know. But let's talk about our friends over at Cardsphere. Now, we did mention previously that Cardsphere was going to close uh, as of November 1st, but then about three weeks ago, they announced, hey, we're not closing. We actually have a buyer. And according to their announcement, they actually had several people that were interested and they settled on Space Cow Media. Now, other than having a really fun name, why right? should we care about Space Cow Media? <laughs> well, the interesting thing is they're the same people that the websites people would know most likely are EDH Rec, Architect, and Commander's Herald. Commander's Herald being a uh, new site, Architect being a web hosting site, mostly for Commander players, and EDH Rec being like the hub where people post Commander decks, and you can, they kind of refine all the numbers on Commander. So they do actually have history in Magic. They also have an audience to bring to the platform, which this is interesting because... You know, one of the things they've mentioned a couple of times with Cardsphere is getting to their next level was going to be tough because it's only three of them trying to do all that work that you need to do to get to the next level. But in this case, not only are you talking to somebody who has teams of people, but also has the audience that you would need to get to that next level, right? You can definitely generate enough trades, sales, whatever, to get to where you need to go. Not counting, you know, if you want to do ad revenue with banners or whatever else. So this is a pretty good deal, all things considered. I think people were concerned. I'm like, okay, is this going to be some outside company that just wants to buy a magic thing and turn it into something else? But no, these are people that are entrenched in magic and likely going to do something to probably integrate the different platforms and make use of card spheres. So this is kind of a win for everybody. You know, I I don't have anything negative to say about this at all. This is this keeps a popular website open. It really helps out effort and crew over at Cardsphere and probably I would think is going to make a decent amount of money by linking in all these different platforms for the buyer. So I don't know, man, is this like the news you were expecting? <laughs> I mean, I was not familiar with space Cal media. So that aspect of it, it was a complete surprise, but I mean, I'm just happy that they are not going to go away. Cause as having worked with them, they are some awesome folks over there. So Glad they're going to st stick around and glad that, hey, despite what you might have heard, plenty of people are still buying into Magic in a big way. Yeah, this is a good example, right? When we were talking about 
Troll and Toad removing themselves from Magic a, a week or two ago, it's not a sign that Magic's dying. It's just like this is somebody whose expertise isn't there, their love isn't there for the game, so they're getting out of it, which is what they should do. This, however, is a company that says, no, we're already entrenched in Magic. We got three, four websites that are doing a lot with Magic, and this is something we've kind of wanted, but we don't have to build that whole infrastructure. Right? Because that's always the thing. It's I think people don't understand that when some companies buy other companies. It's not just for their money. It's that you are saving them tons of time, research, structure building, you know, all that. already got a customer base. Yeah, they're buying all of that, right? The money is nice, but you've also saved them all the work. Because people always say, like, well, couldn't they have just done this themselves? Like, well, yeah, but they'd also have to take five years to do it, you know, like to get to the same level of customers and all that. Or they could just spend, like, what for them probably equates to 50 to 75% more money and then just be there today. Right. So you can just start at the finish line effectively. So this works out great, especially now. I don't know the people, or at least I don't know the plans behind the people at EDH rec. If they were always trying to find a way to integrate some types of trades or sales or whatever, but I would imagine they have been if they're buying card sphere. So for them, this is like, Hey, not only do you get a network that works, it's a unique trading system, and it already comes with all these people, and an active Discord server, which I've seen some people from Space Cow in the Discord server this past week. So, yeah, it seems like everybody's all in on this. So, man, I hope it works out well, and I hope everybody makes a bunch of money doing it, because this this is the best-case scenario, I think, for people of... It wasn't one of the biggest websites, right? It wasn't like they got bought by TCG Player or anything like that. Like, this is a smaller to mid company, I would say, in the magic space, able to buy another smaller company and create a situation where everybody's going to win. So I'm pulling for y'all. I hope it works. But now that brings us to the dinner table. And this is one I think we might get some people heated on. So, you know, brace yourselves. (laughs) But because of all the talk, yeah, that's true. It's had stopped us before, but with all the talk around universes beyond and all the Marvel stuff or whatever, how important do we think story is to a card game? And man, like, I don't think my opinion is going to be popular, (laughs) but okay. Let, Let me at least say this. I think it depends on the game because there have been games like Legends of the Five Rings that their whole thing was story. Like even to the point that whoever won that big world championship that year at Gen Con, like their clan got to be the most important clan in the next set or the next story arc or whatever. Or if certain clan like defeated the other clan in like the finals or whatever, sometimes they would find a way to work that in or whatever. Or if a certain person won a thing, the prizes would be related to the storyline or whatever. So you get these like cool swords and helmets or whatever, right? So they're probably like, it's like the industry standard on how to incorporate story. Yeah. So at that point, I say like story is obviously very important. I would love it if magic could get to that point, but that doesn't even seem to be a thing that they're really interested in doing. Yeah, that ship is mostly sailed, I think. There's the other end of it, too where 
the game is just all about the license and story doesn't really matter, right? Because the story has already happened. That stuff like Dragon Ball Z, uh, D- Raw Deal, right? You're not really selling a story. You're just kind of showing the story that already happened, right? So either people are already fans of the story already or they're probably not a fan of the product in, in most cases like that. Which puts Magic in a weird spot sort of in the middle. Especially now, I'm going to go ahead and exclude the universes beyond stuff because they're not connected to the story that's running. It's just a way to draw people in. So I'm going to be mostly referencing like the four standard sets per year that are kind of carrying the bulk of the story. The problem for me to say like the story really matters is that there are a ton... like. Walk into a game store. This is probably a better example. Next time you go to FM and just think of 10 story beat questions that aren't the like most obvious thing. Like who was the, you know, don't ask like who was the main planeswalker in this set or whatever, because they only printed two or three planeswalkers a set, right? But ask a real story beat point. Like why did, I don't know, Vivian do a certain thing in Ikoria, right? I would bet less than half the room. I'd be surprised if even more 25% of the room would know your answer. In fairness, that's because Magic hasn't really pushed it at all. They they haven't made a big deal out of sure, it. Sure, 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 sure. But they also had a billion-dollar year. Right? So that's where I start to develop the unpopular opinion of... I, I don't think story is completely irrelevant. So I don't want to sound like that either. Like, I think it does appeal to some people. And there are people that specifically play because of the story and how the artwork ties in and is evocative of that story. So I don't think you want to just completely get rid of it. But I don't. I would have a hard time even saying what percentage role it plays. Because it's a, definitely a non-zero number. It's probably bigger than 10%. But, like, beyond that, like, I, I don't know. Because most people don't know any of the story, yet they still buy a lot of Magic cards. Hell, I'm guilty of it. I've been playing this near the beginning, and for most of the sets, I couldn't tell you the story. Now, I think Phyrexia was one that was different because everybody was talking about who got completed and who got, I guess, uncompleted. So that one would probably be a better example of where people actually probably, especially if your favorite Planeswalker got completed, you probably know that. Sure, sure. Even though people did hate that <laughs> with certain Planeswalkers getting completed, but yeah. And, and even I, if you hate the story, you, you remember it. But even then, I think some people were just excited to have more Phyrexians, even though they didn't know the story. You know, they were like, oh, I get a new Elish Norn, sweet. You know, I, I get a new Vorinclex, sweet. And it's interesting because until we start, you know, started putting this episode together, I wasn't really... I don't think I did like the super deep thought on it, but I was really considering the man, how many people do I know that play magic that I think would know, like, even if we just gave them 20 questions that they could answer 50% correctly about the story and magic, man, I'm, I might know a couple handfuls, maybe that could do it. And a couple of them are going to be cosplayers who are into (laughs) that part of the story. You know what I mean? Like, it's not even through no fault of their own. Like, where would you even go with? Because I I know they used to do big lore things on the website, but even that, 
they aren't doing anymore, right? Yeah, they started doing it again with uh, a couple. It was a few sets back, but yeah, it is. It is yeah, online. Exactly. You can't. You can't go. Right. <laughs> remember exactly when they started doing it again. But yeah, but I don't. But again, like I'm not saying anybody's at fault for having story or not. I mean, it's obviously going to be on Wizards. But when we say like, should Wizards be dedicating more effort to it? Part of me wants to say yes, because maybe there's money to be grown by pushing that more. But then the other logical part of me also has to look and say, well, they've been doing kind of the bare minimum and it's working. You know what I mean? Like, so I don't I don't know. Now. I guess. If we move to this future world that I was talking about earlier, where we're going to do some type of production product, then like, yeah, you definitely want to pump it then because you're trying to like prime the machine for whatever's coming, assuming you find a way to tie in the stories, right? Because one of the things we heard before is they were trying to make a story around Gideon, who was already dead in the can- canonical stories, so that didn't make a lot of sense. But assuming you tie them in, yeah, it would make sense to to push the story more, because that's the people that are being introduced to the brand at that point will only know the story. They won't know anything about the cards yet. So you almost need the cards to help further that story to keep those people interested because that's what they're there for, right? Or at least have the cards that show the story beat moments that they fell in love with, right? That would be important. But yeah, I don't know. There may be a point in the future where where it matters more. Yeah, I was, I was going to say also the point where your card game is matters. If it's a brand new card game, then yes, you probably need, you're going to need a lot more focus on who are these people why should I care about any of these people? And at that point, yes, the story is going to matter a whole lot. Magic is so far along its timeline where you can just, hey, here's here's Magic. You're really, you're not necessarily buying in because you love the story. You're buying in because you know five years later, you'll be able to sell these cards off if you want to get out. And also, if you still want to be playing in five years, you, you still can be. Yeah, but even in the beginning, Magic didn't really have a story and sold gangbusters. You know, I mean, yeah, but that, but that again, that's a whole different. That's thirty years ago. If you're coming out with a card game today, how do you sell it to somebody without some kind of a story or or an incredibly unique game mechanic? If you got some game mechanic that nobody's ever seen before, okay, maybe that's how you do. It. Honestly, I would put more weight on the game mechanic than the story. And and a good example of that is KeyForge. I gave that game no long-term shot, but I literally told everybody, it's going to sell a lot in the short term just because they're doing something so different. And that's exactly what happened. Because people are like, oh, wait, I can just buy a thing and that's the whole deck. And then like you don't interchange cards and there's none of this. And it's like, yeah, it's a whole new way to package and, and play a game. And it caught on for a minute. But then eventually that wears off and it's like, okay, now I just have a pile of decks that I can't switch cards in or whatever. And that's not so cool. But I was thinking about it, like how many games that weren't already licenses that people knew, right? Excluding like Lorcana, your Dragon Ball Z's, yes, you know, the like there are so few games that get going that don't already have some kind of a license attached to them. Yeah. And even those that are coming out with stories, they'll have a small run, but they don't extend beyond like five years of their top sales. They're, they're kind of start falling off around that point, which don't get me wrong. Five years is still time to make a big pile of money. You know, but you now Yu-Gi-Oh is a prime example. Of, if it doesn't have the story, I don't know if it becomes as big as it is because so many people got exposed to it, not from the card game, but from the anime. Sure. But again, that's a licensed product. 
right? So it, it's coming well, it's like in. The product now, it wasn't like the product when it started. Nobody knew what a Yu Gi Oh was when it started. No, Yu Gi Oh, yeah, it totally had the TV show first, at least in the states. Because I remember when we ran the first couple of big Yu Gi Oh tournaments, like it was because it was being promoted on the cartoon. So even that, you know, had had its blow up because of the the cartoon show. I'm saying again, without the story, you don't get to the card game. Sure. But again, we're talking about a licensed product, right? It's already coming in with that. I don't know. I'm trying to think of other games that came in with their own thing. But I don't like Force of Will, the anime game. Kind of had its own little story thing. But even then, most people are just playing. Because, like, again, I don't know many people that could tell you the story outside of what they just read on the box when they bought it. Like, and it was hot, again, for probably about four or five-ish years and then started its fall off. But, yeah, I can't think of one that either isn't already licensed or just doesn't have a unique set of mechanics, right? I, I don't. Legend of the Five Rings was the only one I could think of that literally had the story drive it and had a long, long run. And they were around for a while. I mean, they had a for real run. Even tried to make a comeback when their license got bought later, you know, and that was around for a few years. But yeah, everything else is either licensed or mechanically significant. So it's hard to say how much the story matters to sales. I Because again, I'm not going to say it's zero because it's just not like that's not realistic. But I don't know if it's if we had to say, like, you know, art, mechanics, organized play, whatever. Story might get the smallest sliver. And it might just be 10, 15 percent. I don't know. But it's an interesting thing to think about, because, again, I'm not saying we should get rid of it. I, I think there's still an importance to it. And it helps drive promotional efforts. You can do fun stuff around it if you have a story. But, yeah, I I kind of get why companies aren't spending as much time on that because if you don't have a licensed product then you got to have something else to draw people in i guess a different question would be is there a type of story that somebody could make a game around that would make me want to play the game first cuz i don't even think about flesh and blood like they try to have stories from what i understand but it's really about the uniqueness of how the game plays with your individual characters getting loaded up with equipment, the back and forth fighting or whatever, right? That's why people are playing it. So yeah, I don't, I don't know. That's tough. Like I said, I know my opinion is not going to be popular with a lot of people because if you're a super fan of the story, you'll want to defend it and die on that hill. And I don't blame you. I totally get it. But all signs I can think of, Point to that not being one of the most important things to to sell a sell a brand, but I don't know, man. Maybe it's a future world, like I said, where there's production products and everything, and you have to tie it in. Then the story matters more. But I think that's also because in those spaces, maybe you can only do it by telling the story. You know, like I wonder if that's what kind of what's happening with the Netflix project is that they just uh, have have had a hard. It's probably some. Plot holes, maybe they got to go back and fill in because they hadn't thought about it before now. Maybe. I mean, or maybe the thing is you want to tie that into future sets or stories, right? We Do we want a movie or TV series to come out today that's talking about 
I don't know, the War of the Spark where they took and killed Bolas or whatever, right? Eh, maybe, but does that do anything for sales if somebody gets interested in magic, comes in, and they're like, oh, that happened like four years ago? <laughs> right? You know what I mean? Like, how does that feel, right? So maybe you need a world where you're writing those stories that are tied to the new direction or whatever the latest sets are or whatever. So every everything is new that's tied to that story. It's not my job to figure out, but that that, <laughs> that would make more sense to me, you know. But once everybody they can find you on socials, Brian. All right. I am Brian Sonic on Twitter, X, whatever. I'm still calling it Twitter. Same. Uh, you can find me just about everywhere at Power Dragon, P-O-W-R-D-R-A-G-N. And boy, there's a lot of stuff coming down the pipe soon. Uh, I'll be doing some cool box openings on social, so you want to follow that. Otherwise, don't forget, support our sponsors, all the good stuff. Leave us a review, because we need it. And, you know, leave a nice comment. Tell us you love us. Otherwise, wherever you're listening, whenever you're listening, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. Please remember to take care of yourselves and your family. And remember to be awesome and be awesome to each other. If you'd like to further support Color of Magic, you can find us on our website at colorofmtg.com. We also have a Patreon if you'd like to donate. Other patreon.com slash colorofmagic. You can also find us on Facebook under Color of Magic. And if you want to follow us along at Twitter, you can find us there at Color of MTG. And as always, please share the podcast around to your friends, your network, people you think might enjoy it, because every little bit helps as we're trying to increase our user base.